All right, back on Young Turks, I got a couple of fun guests for you guys. First one's gonna tell us how we're gonna impeach Donald Trump, already fun. Second one's a conservative, we're gonna talk about Venezuela. Fascinating drums, share the stream, make sure everybody's watching. All right, joining me now is old friend John Bonifaz. He is co-founder of president of Free Speech for People. John, welcome back to the program. Thanks so much for having me. No problem. So uh, you think that Donald Trump using the emergency powers to build a wall might be a cause for impeachment? Interesting. Okay, so um, why? Why? Okay, so I get why the courts would rule against it, but you might want to explain that too. But but why would that lead to impeachment? Well, this is actually the eleventh ground that we have identified for impeachment proceedings against this lawless president. And it's because, first of all, this president is trying to usurp the separation of powers. He's trying to seize legislative powers. And that is the very definition of tyranny, as James Madison put it, when the executive tries to seize legislative powers. The Constitution makes very clear under Article One that Congress and only Congress has the power to appropriate money. This president did not get what he wanted out of Congress, he didn't get the funding for his wall. So now he's trying to declare a fake emergency, a bogus emergency that does not exist at the southern border to try to take money from a military budget that was not designed to build a wall and to do just that. He's usurping those separation of powers principles and is effectively defying the Congress and the rule of law. So John, first of all, let's note, uh, I love the use of the word usurp. I guess that makes him the usurper. Uh, yes, <laughs> which reminds usurper me. in chief, actually. That's right, yes. uh, reminds me of Game of Thrones, so I already uh, enjoy it. Um, now, uh, the Constitution remembers, uh, so, <laughs> so does the Supreme Court. So let's talk about um, Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company versus Sawyer, because I want people to understand the the way that the Supreme Court has laid out the case for when the executive branch can spend money and when it can't. This is very important and central to your argument. Yes, this is the 1952 Supreme Court opinion uh, when President Truman tried to steal, seize rather, steal factories, uh, private uh, factories for the purpose uh, during the Korean War. And the Supreme Court was very clear that the president doesn't have that power to seize a private property. And it is particularly in, at his lowest ebb in terms of his power as president when he's doing something that is not something that Congress explicitly granted him the authority to do. Here, Congress has enacted a statute known as the National Emergency Powers Act of 1976, in which it lays out the kind of emergency powers that a president can assume if, in fact, it must be declared, an emergency must be declared without waiting for Congress to act. But that's not what we have here. This is a fake emergency. The president, in fact, said in his press conference announcing this that he didn't need to do this. And he announced even prior to declaring this that he might have to do this if Congress didn't give him his funding. So it was eminently clear that the reason why he was declaring this emergency is because Congress didn't give him the funding for his wall. 
uh, and that's where he's clashing directly with the Constitution. Uh, so this, I think, is very applicable, this 1952 Supreme Court opinion, making clear that the president doesn't have the power to engage in this kind of unlawful behavior that Congress doesn't give him the explicit power to do. Uh, and here, this president, again, is, is seizing legislative powers uh, that he does not have and yeah. is acting like a tyrant and must be held accountable. So uh, Justice Jackson wrote that opinion, and he it was the lead prosecutor at Nuremberg, by the way. And, yes. and he laid out the case that, look, when Congress says the president can do something, that's when the executive branch has the most power. When it doesn't say anything about the issue, that's the middle ground. When Congress says you are not to do this, that is when the executive branch has the least amount of power. That's and right. in this case, Congress twice voted on this and said you are not to spend this money on the wall. That we're going to assign a certain amount of money that you should spend on the wall. That is our constitutional role is to spend money. And then you either agree or disagree as the president and he agreed to that legislation. And then he says, okay, now I'm not gonna do what Congress says and I'm gonna spend the money anyway. Well, right. that is very clear according to the Supreme Court that he is in contravention of the Constitution. So we get that and that is why he will almost certainly lose in court. But now here comes a twist and this part I did not know about the 1974 House Judiciary Committee's impeachment inquiry and the grounds they laid for impeachment. So tell us about how that applies here. Well, it applies in that the president is abusing his power. I mean, what happened during that impeachment inquiry uh, during the Nixon Watergate proceedings is that the, the president was being held accountable for his persistent abuses of power. Uh, and this is just one of many abuses of power this president has committed, starting with his refusal to comply with the foreign and domestic emoluments clauses of the US Constitution, the anti-corruption provisions of the Constitution, refusing to divest fully from his business interests and treating the Oval Office as a profit-making enterprise at the public expense. Uh, and, and since that violation, open violation and defiance of the rule of law that occurred from the moment he took the oath of office, we have seen repeated abuses of power, repeated impeachable offenses leading to this most recent one uh, with the president's fake declaration of emergency and efforts to bypass Congress and their power to appropriate uh, monies. So this president must be held accountable through the impeachment process. Whatever happens in the courts on this matter is not necessarily relevant to whether the Congress must start now impeachment hearings against this president. And in fact, I think too many members of Congress have hid behind lawsuits and hid behind the Mueller investigation, which is a criminal investigation, not an investigation to whether or not there's been impeachable offenses. Uh, and instead, needs the Congress needs to stand up and do its duty. It defends and protects the Constitution. That's its oath. That's the members of oath of office when they uh, took the offices that they have, and they must do that. They must stand up now to defend our Constitution at this critical moment in our history. So John, I wanna to get to the politics of it in a second, but I, I wanna give a direct quote from that commission that we were just talking about. Because they said that there are three categories for impeachment. And it's weird that the media doesn't talk about this enough to the point where I hadn't even seen it. But the first category was quote, exceeding the constitutional bounds of the powers of the office in derogation of the powers of another branch of government. 
That's almost word for word what Donald Trump is doing by declaring a national no, emergency. No question about it. That's what he's doing right now. Yes. Yeah. And so, by the way, the website here is impeachdonaldtrumpnow.org for you guys to check out. Impeachdonaldtrumpnow.org. And so, John, let's talk about the politics of it because every Democrat I ask, including really great Democrats like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, I mean, I get what they're saying. So, Sanders said on this program a couple of days ago, he said, look, if they impeach him, I'm going to be one of his, one of the judges in the Senate as to whether he should be removed from office. So I gotta make sure all the evidence in and I don't wanna prejudge it. But yeah, it, it doesn't look good <laughs> based on what we know publicly. So that's a fair statement. But but first, they'd have to act in the House. And, yes. they, and they keep saying we gotta wait for the Mueller report. And partly I get the logic of it, but on the other hand, it puts. It seems to me that it's putting too many eggs in the basket of the Mueller report when we already know that he has committed certain crimes like campaign finance law violations that are absolutely clear that somebody else is going to jail for, his co-conspirator is going to prison for, let alone this and the other 10 cases that you allude to. So is Nancy Pelosi and Democratic leadership here doing the wrong thing by not pursuing impeachment right now? They're absolutely wrong. They're engaging in dereliction of their own duty and their own oath of office. We, we wrote a book about this. Ron Fine, our legal director at Free Speech for People, Ben Clements our, Clements, our board chair, and I wrote a book that came out in August of last year, published by Melville House, entitled The Constitution Demands It, The Case for the Impeachment of Donald Trump. And we laid out there the eight grounds by then, which we had identified for impeachment proceedings against this president. We've identified, as I said, three additional ones, including the most recent one dealing with this fake emergency. But most of those legal grounds are not being covered by Robert Mueller and his criminal investigation. He's covering only two of those 11 grounds, obstruction of justice and whether the president and any of his associates conspired with the foreign government to interfere with the 2016 election. But there are many other grounds that Mueller's not even touching. The emoluments, violations, the hush money payments, as we know, the abuse of the pardon power, the giving aid and comfort to white supremacists and neo-Nazis, the undermining of the freedom of the press, this fake emergency and usurping the separation of powers principles, the unconstitutional and cruel imprisonment of children, at the southern border. These impeachable offenses must be investigated by the House of Representatives, must be acted on, and then there must be a trial in the Senate. And when members of Congress say we got to wait for the Mueller report, what they're really saying is that they don't have the courage to lead. They're putting party over country and not acting in the best interests of America at this critical moment in our history. And if you're wondering why, what does that mean? The, the Pelosi and the Democrats are obviously Democrats and not Republicans, why are they putting party? Because their political calculation is that it would hurt them in the elections. And I, I don't agree with that political calculation, but either way that political calculation should be irrelevant to the rule of law. And, and if it isn't, that's not just on the Republicans, it's also on the Democrats. No question about it, setting a very dangerous president that's Very right. dangerous precedent okay. for administrations going forward that we would have this lawless president stay in the Oval Office for four years without being held accountable. 
All right, John Boniface, uh, president of Free Speech for People. The website in this case is impeachdonaldtrumpnow.org. Thank you so much for joining us, appreciate it. Thank you. All right, when we come back, uh, we're gonna have Dan Perkins on. He's a foreign policy expert uh, of the conservative persuasion. We're gonna talk about Venezuela, could be interesting. Come right back. All right, back on the Young Turks. Uh, joining me now is Dan Perkins. He's a foreign policy expert uh, at DailyCaller.com, Newsmax.com, and TheHill.com. Uh, we're going to talk about Venezuela. Dan, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Uh, no problem. So, um, I, I am concerned about what appears to be a coup in Venezuela uh, and uh, that it is coordinated with the United States government. So, let's start at point one, which is that uh, it almost, well, I'm gonna remove almost. It certainly is coordinated with the US government, whether you think it's a coup or not. Because when Juan Guaido declared himself the president, which was a bizarre act, Donald Trump said something positive about it within minutes. So obviously, there was some coordination there. I just wanna see if we can get agreement on that first, yes? Well, I think there's another coup that you haven't talked about. And that's Russia and China and Venezuela. Russia and China have invested $100 billion in Venezuela in order to protect the oil business that they have and the energy that China wants. So they're very much vested, much more so than we are, in the outcome of Venezuela. But that's not a coup, Dan. So I hear you, that's true. And so we all have financial interest there. And that's partly why I don't want to go in there. I don't care about the financial interest of multinational corporations, whether they're Theoretically, based in America or based in Russia, but that's not a coup. The coup is when somebody says the the president is no longer the president. I declare myself the president, and that seems to have been done in conjunction with the United States. Well, he's questioning. Well, I'm not sure he's he's done in connection with the United States. He's looking at what the people are saying, and that the the last election was was rigged or bogus. And that the, the people didn't truly elect this gentleman, Maduro, for another term. I mean, if you look at what's going on in the country, uh, this was the moniker for socialists all over the world as an example of how socialism can work until it stopped working. And so we have tremendous poverty. I mean, when's the last time you saw a nation described as the number of pounds each of its citizens lost last year? Yep. So no, no one holds it up as a standard for socialism. Uh, countries that they hold up as standards are countries like Norway, Finland, Sweden, um, and obviously these are all mixed economies. Uh, Germany uh, and Canada are other uh, potential examples, and they're all shining examples, excellent economies. Venezuela uh, it has two problems. One is. Uh, Two guys who have seized power, Chavez and even more so Maduro, and have mm-hmm. dictatorial tendencies. We don't disagree on that at all. And right. uh, and and secondarily, uh, they are too reliant on oil. So when oil prices go down, their economy is in shambles. Uh, so I don't believe that the issue is remotely socialism. It is Maduro seizing power. And I actually don't disagree with you on illegitimate elections. But can you see how it would create chaos? For a person in the legislature to stand up and go, okay, now there are two presidents, and I'm one of them, and that that is not helpful in our cause to have legitimate elections in Venezuela. 
Well, I, I, I think I agree with part of what you're saying. I think it's the idea that we can have uh, a representative government, a fair representative government in Venezuela, uh, that the people have a right to have a say about what's going on. I don't, however, say just because the president of the United States or the prime minister from England or the chancellor from Germany or the president of France supports this uh, change in the government uh, is necessarily a coup by all of the nations of the Western world. I think it's a recognition that the country is in dire straits. The people are starving. The people have no freedoms. They've let three million people leave the country because of starvation. Um, and so the idea that the leaders around the world are saying, uh, we like the new guy, uh, and, and I don't know what we've done yet, or any other Western world nation has done to financially or militarily support this interim president, so, other than verbally. So Dan, first of all, no. Um, uh, the U US um, immediately tried to transfer the financial accounts of Venezuela uh, to Guaido instead of Maduro. So that is a very direct physical action. And uh, Donald Trump talked about keeping military options on the table. So yes, there was direct ways of helping what appears, again, in my opinion, to be a coup. Uh, but Dan, let's think about the precedent that it sets. And I, I don't think you're gonna like this precedent. So Maduro is arguably a disastrous leader, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of people in this country and other countries believe that Donald Trump is a disastrous leader for this country. And most of the world does not agree with his leadership as most of the world does not agree with Maduro's leadership. And if Nancy Pelosi, the leader of the legislature in this country were to stand up and say, I am now president. And a whole bunch of other countries said we are now freezing American assets in our banks and handing them over to Nancy Pelosi rather than Donald Trump. Would you agree that that would be a disastrous scenario? I would agree that it that first of all the likelihood of it ever happening is 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 incredibly remote and number two I don't believe that the American people would stand for that I think there would be riots in the streets and and in that case Nancy Pelosi wouldn't have under the Constitution the ability to call out the military because that power resides with the executive branch so it's a it's a flawed in my opinion a flawed analogy. Um, but wait a minute, he, the, the president in Venezuela also controls the military just like the president here does. Mm -hmm. And and so the analogy holds uh, and, and, the, that, the, and the, you in, say in, that there would be riots in the streets, but there are riots in the streets in Venezuela. So the analogy yeah. holds. But, as, but does the interim president in Venezuela have control of the military? No, Maduro has right. control of the military. So. Without the military, how do you enforce a coup? No, that's but that's exactly the same analogy, Dan. Uh, uh, Maduro, who's the head of the executive branch of Venezuela, controls the military, and Trump right. in America would control the military. That is why right. it would be absurd for Pelosi to declare herself president, and it's equally absurd for Guaido to, to declare himself the president when he's the head of the legislature. But if if the people are riding the streets and they want him. The 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 that's ability. not how constitutions work. Uh, and so, and by the way, uh, Dan, uh, I don't know if you saw the women's march, but there was millions upon millions of people in the streets against Donald Trump. By your standard, that's it. Let's make Pelosi the president. Well, because there are a million people in the streets, sixty-six million people made him president. They didn't have sixty-six. And by the way, what was the second anniversary of the women's march? How many people were there? 
a ton, just not the not record breaking amount that was the not, first not time half, around. Not so I mean, that's a, it's a really funny thing to say, Dan, where okay, you had enormous protests, but they weren't quite as large as when they were most angry about Trump, where they broke uh, the record for this country and how many people showed up to a protest. I wouldn't go down that route as a way of judging Donald Trump, because then he'll be out of office way quicker than you want him to be. Well, I, I would say that if you look at what's happened to the, the, the protest movement, What's happened, they were protesting before the, literally before the president had a chance to take office and the next day after he took office. Look what's happened to the country in the two years that he's been president, in spite of a mainstream media that publishes about 93% of all their stories against Donald Trump. He Dan, is still Dan, I think you're missing my point. I don't believe Nancy Pelosi should declare herself president. That's why mm -hmm. I'm saying the same thing should not happen in Venezuela. This, no matter how unpopular the president is, and no matter how much there's protests in the streets against the president, we need to have one president. Wouldn't it be more constructive if we were to work with the rest of the world to demand another election? I understand that that would be difficult in the case of Maduro, but if we were to and, and I know other people disagree with sanctions, and it's a good legitimate debate. But if we were to direct the sanctions in that direction and say, and, and we did this in the case of Iran, and, and say, hey, we're getting Russia, China, and the rest of the world together to say, no, you need to hold legitimate elections. In the case of Iran, it was to end their nuclear energy program. That that would mm -hmm. be more effective diplomacy than backing some rando who raises his hand and says, okay, I'm also president. Well, I, I think that uh, that what's happened is that the chaos in the country, the conflict with the people against the government, uh, there is there's there's not order uh, and discipline in the government. The the military now is trying to decide which one they're going to they're going to go with. Uh, I wouldn't be opposed if the if the United Nations were to supervise new elections and if the uh, the interim president was elected, I think the world should stand behind him. But the idea that, that this guy can continue to destroy his people, starve them to death, squander assets, uh, do a, a horrific job of managing the, the natural resources of the country where he could feed his people comfortably and create a, a, a world power, he's, he's abandoned all of that. And, and that's the issue that's really a problem because uh, I think the people are looking for somebody to lead them. And uh, they don't think Maduro is in their favor. This guy steps up and says, I'm gonna be the president. Uh, I would agree with you that the, the, the best, or I shouldn't say best, a solution, possible solution, if it could be done, is that if there were free, independent, verified elections in the country where they were supervised by other nations to make sure that it was a fair election process. But then that creates, that opens Pandora's box. So every time that there's a guy that's a bad guy, does the UN step in and say, we're gonna call for new elections because we don't like the way you're treating your people? No, that's no, 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 that's, no, that's your standard. Uh, and again, by that standard, Trump would be a goner. Uh, no, the correct standard is independent, verifiable elections. And if you've got elections and they pick the guy we don't like, Duterte or whoever it might be, well, that's that was their decision. And there's nothing we could do about that. And I'm tired of us meddling in everyone else's affairs. But if you don't have legitimate elections, then there is real concern. So, and and I don't care if Exxon Mobil gets their hands on Venezuela's oil. I I have no interest in that. My uncle doesn't work for Exxon Mobil. I don't know if yours does. But no. Okay. So 
No, leave their assets alone, leave their oil alone. Let's just get real elections and this idea. And look, I'll end on this. You said the military is trying to decide who to back down. That's the definition of a coup where the military is trying to decide in a chaotic situation. And that's the anarchy that we have created. It is clearly coordinated with the US. The US put out an effort to support this guy within minutes of him declaring himself president. Stop doing coups in Latin America, it's a terrible idea. But Latin America has done coups for decades. And not them. No, control. the US has done coups in Latin no. America for decades. No. You've got no. A, lot of, a lot of dictators who've taken over in countries and, uh, and then get thrown out by the military and we start over again. And that's not driven <laughs> by the United States. Okay, well, all right, we'll end it on there because now we're in alternative facts. Uh, any rational reading of history says, the, yes, the U, United States participated in many of those coups. And in, in a lot of the cases, they were not dictators. They were freely elected representatives of the people, especially in Chile, but almost uh, in most of those instances. But Dan, I appreciate you coming on the program and having a conversation with me about it. Again, you can find Dan at Newsmax.com, TheHill.com, and DailyCaller.com. And Dan Perkins. Dot Guru. No, Dot, dot Guru. Oh, dot guru? Yeah, G-U-R-U. All right, there you go. Guru. All right, sorry Thank I didn't you. have that in front of me. Thank you, Dan, appreciate it. You bet. Okay, guys, uh, we're gonna take a, a break here. And when we come back, it's uh, just for Young Turks members. But we're gonna talk about uh, whether Kamala Harris is a cop. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I happen to be looking up her uh, record on uh, civil asset forfeitures, super randomly. And then the Supreme Court decision, uh, was in the news about civil asset forfeitures. So really interesting what her thoughts on that were. TYT.com slash join and become a member and get the last half an hour of the show. We'll be right back.